The crackle of fresh cut cedar or pine, that sound so distinct in a wood stove, you know, especially a small stove that sits in darkness of a tent buried somewhere in the woods. It is that sound, that sensation synonymous to me with safety and comfort. To be in a tent in sub-zero temps surrounded by drifts of snow and to be so cozy in a canvas tent, I love it. It is a sensation that George Wells hopes to bring to all kinds of people with his handmade wood stoves crafted right here in Minnesota. His story and his passion today. Hey everybody, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. And today, uh, our tale is a little quirky. Um, I admit the whole winter camping thing is not for everyone, but the sensations are real. And my guest today is the guy who is helping handcraft some of those sensations. George Wells, uh, I want to make sure I get this right, a welder by trade, but also a winter camping. What gives? <laughs> that is absolutely correct. I have uh, I've made my living and uh, welding for 35 years. And being a, a true blue Minnesotan, I've embraced winter for almost that long and kind of had an opportunity to marry the two and my, my, my love of the outdoors, camping winter and welding. And I got to kind of put it all together here in about the so, last year or so. So I got to know you really kind of from a distance, right? Because this, this winter camping crowd, ancestral isn't quite the right word, but it's probably pretty close. There aren't a ton of us, but I got to know you from a distance, seeing you at different events, kind of hearing your name and I've been a fan of these four dog wood stoves that go in tents um, that were originally uh, brainstormed by Don Cavallis. And I had heard through the grapevine, like the next chapter is coming that Don is going to retire and somebody else is going to take the reins. And you're that guy. How did, how does it, how does that come to be? <laughs> well, I've known Don since I was literally 18 years old at the start of my career. I met Don at a at my first job at a factory. He was working uh, at that factory as a as a brake press operator, uh, and this was just a couple years before he uh, got Four Dog up and running. So I've known of Four Dog, known of Don, uh, basically my entire adult life. Um, fast forward a few years and like five years ago, uh, Don called me up and asked if I would be willing to give him a hand part time because he had a lot of orders to fill. And if I'd come out to the shop and, and give him a hand once or twice a week. So I was, to be honest with you, giddy as a, <laughs> as a schoolboy, you know, I have an incredible amount of respect for Don. And, you know, he's kind of one of my heroes as a young man. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of what put the spark in me once I realized over time that, yeah, Don was slowing down and he was looking at 
phasing out some products in his in his uh, arsenal. And one of those things was his steel stove, the two dogs, three dogs, four dogs, that sort of thing. Um, now, early several several years ago, a little earlier in my career, I had my own shop, my own business, part time. And so I was no stranger to, to manufacturing and, and doing what I needed to do. Now, when <laughs> I mentioned to Don, I said, hey, this is something I think I could do and I'd like to do. And Don kind of looked at me and you have to understand at that moment in my life, I had gotten divorced, lost everything, my shop, <laughs> all my stuff, you know, typical divorce, moved out of a house. And I was living in a one-bedroom apartment with nothing. And I'm telling Don, yeah, I'm going to build your stuff. And I think he kind of smiled and, and grinned and went, yeah, yeah, okay. you know. So needless to say, 2020 is coming to be, you know, fall of, fall of 2019 and into 2020, I really kind of knuckled down and I, I told uh, my girlfriend, Maddie, I said, hey, 2020 is the year of the house. We're going to get out of this apartment. We're going to buy a house and we're going to buy a house with a garage big enough to start a shop because I want to make this happen one way or another. And lo and behold, we found a house. We did our thing. COVID hit. Really made it extremely difficult to do. Um, I'll bore you. I won't bore you with all those details, but needless to say, I bought a place. I got a building. 2021 rolls around and I said, this is the year we're going to build the shop. And by build the shop, I mean, physically insulate a building, wire the building, you know, do everything we need to do infrastructure wise to make it a livable, workable space. And then there's the matter of going through and buying all the equipment I need to start a factory, a business, a, a welding shop. Um, Having worked in the industry for a long time, I have a lot of really good connections and really good friends that I called up and asked for favors and put the feelers out. And I managed to buy about 75% of the equipment I needed in about three months. Brake wow. press, shear, iron worker, welders, drill presses. I mean, I just whole hog I was in. I jumped in with both feet, closed my eyes and just said, let's make this happen. During that entire time, I was working for Don in 10, 15, 20 hours a week, you know, as my time allotted, I do work full time. And he was kind of sitting back going, huh, looks like something's going on here, you know? And, uh, I just kept my nose to the grindstone and, and kept kind of dropping not so subtle hints that balls rolling, Don balls rolling. I can make this happen. I can do this. And, uh, long story short, you know, I, 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 Loved on to death, but I think he wasn't quite ready to give it up about a year, year and a half ago. He wasn't mm. quite ready to say, I'm done. So I was in a situation where I have all this equipment and all these things. And I said, well, I'm just going to build my own stove. I'll take what I know. I'll put some stuff together. Eventually, you know, either Don's going to come around or, or not, you know, and I have the opportunity and I have the knowledge. So let's just see what happens. And Again, long story short, I put some prototypes together, brought them over to Don's place and said, hey, this is what I think about doing. And I think at that moment, Don realized how serious I was, how committed I was. And he said, well, if you're going to do that, you might as well build little dogs. And 
that's kind of when everything kind of developed, you know, and it was kind of, I, I got that weight off my shoulders. I got the, okay. I got the blessing from the man himself. And since then, um, the last six to seven, eight months, um, I've been producing stoves, uh, specifically the little dog steel stoves. You know, Don is still producing titanium. That was always his bread and butter and what he's really, really known for. I mean, well, I shouldn't say really known for, but everybody knows that the titanium four dog is the Cadillac of all stoves. So he's still producing that. I am backfilling the steel stoves, the little dogs, and we're going to be producing um, what we call the mule, which is uh, a hybrid steel and titanium stove. And I've, I've got a few of those together at the Winter Camping Symposium, sold out the first day. They were very popular. Um, so those are on, on my, uh, my uh, plate as well for this winter and spring. So, I mean, that's kind of how it all came about. I just, at hell or high water, I was going to do something. I, I knew I had the skills. I knew I had the drive. I know all the people. You know, there's so many people in the outdoor community, in the outdoor world. Um, the last 10, 15 years, I've really embraced a lot of that. And, and, and I'm just running with it. I'm just like making it happen. I'm working, you know, a full-time job, something, you know, sometimes 50 hours a week at my normal job. And then I'm working mm. weekends and evenings, knocking out as many stoves as I can keep filling orders and, and just keeping it going. Um, you know, I, I really don't want to see this, these products and this stuff go away. My, you know, my intention really was not about me at all. It was about four dog and knowing you know, knowing how Don and what Don did and how much Don has contributed to all of this, this community, you know, all, you know, everything he's done. And I'm like, that can't go away. I have so much love and respect for that, that I'm like, Hey, you know, I, I'll never fill the man's shoes, but I can hike the same path in my shoes. If that makes sense. Right. And, and, and that's, I mean, that was, that was my intention and, and that's what I wanted to do. It was like, let's make this happen. So. So we should probably back up just a little bit and talk about the stoves themselves, right? Like, okay. What are, what are they and what are they used for? So as I understand it, Don, when he kind of came up with this whole, this, this whole inception of four dog, he was doing a lot of rendezvousing. Uh, reenactment type stuff and there just wasn't which is which is you know guys getting together doing black powder um buck skinning stuff like that and and there wasn't really anything on the market that was really great there was things out there i think you know we're talking the the late 80s early 90s um and that's that's where he had the idea that he says i think i can build these stoves and he created He's created many, many different styles and models over the years and refined it down to what we're producing now and what he has produced for years. But uh, these stoves were originally designed for reenacting and for outfitters. Um, a lot of big hunting camps out west end up in Canada, trappers, things like that, that needed a really robust, heavy duty stove that they could basically stake their life on 
I mean, these, these are, these were designed for people that were going out into an environment in the winter, very cold, very rugged, very remote in a lot of cases. And they needed a stove or a product that would work all the time, hands down, no problems. And it was going to last. And I know for a fact, Don gets phone calls to this day from people that have been using the same stove for 20 years and they're still going strong trappers, right? you know, you don't hear about that type of thing so much in Minnesota because there aren't a lot of people making a livelihood trapping, but Alaska out West up in Canada, there's still a lot of folks that do that. And you know, the elk camps out West, um, the deer hunting camps out West where there's large outfitters. And that's how it all kind of came about. Um, the titanium stuff from what I understand was, and I, I may not be a hundred percent on the exact details, but I know from stories Don's told me, um, sled doggers, people that were going out in the wintertime needed a lighter stove. You know, some of our stoves, our smallest steel stove that comes in 42, 45 pounds. So he developed the titanium stuff to just lighten the load for people that were packing things in. It really didn't have a lot to do with the winter camping um, portion or, or, or group that, you know, there were some winter campers, you know, 30, 40 years ago, but not to the extent that we see today, not on the level. Um, so that really wasn't his market he was going after, but certainly that's that market has opened up a lot in the last five, six, seven, eight years. Um, people have, have learned the, you know, how amazing it is to get out at below zero weather and have a warm place to hang out. Um, he has designed and Don did this entire four dog thing you know, from start to finish, he designed the stoves, engineered the stoves, manufactured the stoves. He had to market. We're, we're talking pre-internet, right? He was actually going to trade shows, traveling, going to rendezvous, traveling, bringing, you know, schlepping his wares, as they say, you know, he had to do it the hard way. He used to have paper copies of catalogs because there was no internet, right? People had to send him a mm-hmm. dollar and he would send them a catalog. So, I mean, to imagine the blood, sweat, and tears and effort this man put into this company, you know, it, it, I have an incredible amount of respect for that. And it's, it, it, it makes me kind of giddy and, 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 and stuff when I think about it too, that I have, that I have this opportunity, you know, and you'll talk to a lot of people in the winter camping community now, and there's a lot of cheap stoves out there. There's, you know, the Chinesium stuff, as we call it. To get a lot of people in as an entry level, and if they really like it and they realize the pitfalls of something like that as a, as a, a maybe an inferior product, if they're really into it, eventually they're going to come around and and you always hear the oh someday I'll have a four dog someday I'll have a four dog right, so the reputation is there you know, and it's just it's just a huge opportunity you know those stoves are. Uh, they're amazing pieces of engineering in a lot of ways. Uh, the way Don developed and the time he put into figuring out the way to do it right 
to get the best burn. You know, he's uh, he's a complete geek when it comes to BTUs and heat and output and all this kind of stuff. And it shows on his designs. You know, he really tried to fine tune and tweak and at the same time, keep it manufacturable, keep it lightweight, keep it a way that is easily made, you know, without making it super cost prohibitive you know, from his standpoint. So it's, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, we all joke that it's, it's a, it's a metal box you hold fire in and really that's all it is. But there is a lot of uh, engineering and technology that kind of went into why he did it and why he made it this size and why he does it the way we we do it. Um, When it's 30, 40 below zero, you need a stove that's going to perform and, and Don developed that stove. So I'm just, so happy I get I have an opportunity to uh to build them and keep them going. All right, I want to talk a little bit about the crafting portion because there's a little bit of an art to what you do. But first, we need to thank a couple of sponsors who help make the Minnesota Bound podcast happen each week. Up first, our good friends at Connecticut. Everyone knows how much my family loves Connecticut water. We have it in our home, and this summer we added it at the cabin. (laughs) And oh boy, what a difference. Really, for as long as I can remember, we've dealt with that cabin water, that Minnesota stinky, foul well water. Well, after a painless four-hour installation, we have Connecticut soft water and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make our coffee in the morning before fishing. We have great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. The laundry no longer smells funny, and Connecticut water also cleaned up our showers and dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. Also, we'd like to give a shout-out to our good friends at Star Bank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Remember, FDIC, an equal housing lender. Okay, George Wells is my guest today, and it's funny because a couple years ago I was at the shop of a place called Four Dog Stove. Don Cavallis, a self-proclaimed wood stove geek, handcrafts these stoves. And Don's getting to the age, and, and we had this conversation. I said, well, who, who's going to take this over someday? And Don just at the time said, I don't know, Bill. He's got this voice. You know when Don's talking. He he didn't feel like anyone was worthy of passing it on to. And so he had even made a comment at one point, like this whole deal might go when Don goes. And I thought to myself, there is no way possible that could ever happen. These little wood stoves that I use 
for winter camping and for hunting camps in my tents. They burn a long time. You can control temperature. They are just a very special piece of equipment that I use to make memories. And so all of a sudden, I start hearing about this guy who's going to carry on the legacy. And George, it's you. And it was just kind of an exciting moment, not just for me, but for all the people who support 4Dog. And before we talk about how you build, because there's a real art to that, I think, I think we should talk about the name, 4Dog, where that comes from. Do you know the history of that? From what I understand, there, you know, if you've ever heard the saying, as cold as a four-dog night, that goes back to the trappers of the north, um, and the, the sled doggers who would literally bring their dogs into their cabins, their tents, to help keep them warm at night. So if it was a two-dog night, it wasn't as cold as it was on a four-dog night, right? So that's where Don got the name as far as I know. And then he ran with that in the models of the stoves he made. Um, you know, he made a two-dog, a three-dog, a four-dog, even a five-dog at one point, which were a humongous stove. I mean, that's that's a really big outfitter stove. And, you know, and, the, and it all related to the size of the tent you were going to be heating, you know? Yeah. The the dimensions of the stove, you know, the bigger the stove, the bigger the space, right? You can put more wood in, all that stuff. So he kind of ran with that that uh that idea or that that you know, thing, which I think is kind of cool, you know. Oh, I I love the name. Everyone knows the old what, 70s band, Three Dog Night. Yep. What was their big hit? Joy That's Gold Night. What was their big (laughs) hit? Joy Joy to the World? Something like that. Um, Something like that. Yeah, maybe. Yep. <laughs> but that's the whole point. How many dogs do you need to cuddle in to stay warm overnight? Yeah. And I, I know for a fact that Don will, he looks forward to those cold, cold nights. When, they're, when it's 25 below zero, he's out, he, he was out in his backyard with one of his stoves in that weather, heating it up, w- looking at the wood he had. Keeping track of how many pounds of wood he had, looking at the temperature of the tent, the temperatures outside. So when Don was selling, you know, when, when, when when he tells you this stove will keep you warm at 40 below, that's legitimate. He knows it will because he's done it. And he has many, many stoves out there in the world that have done it. And he gets feedback all the time, you know. So it's, it's, that's pretty impressive. You know, it's not like going and buying a sleeping bag where it's rated at, minus 20 and you know you're going to be cold at zero <laughs> a four right. dog's pretty legitimate when it says if it's going to keep you warm it will um minnesota bound this week shameless promotion here uh we are running one of my winter trips from last year it was a solo trip into the boundary waters awful awful conditions waist deep snow and spots you know pulling the hundred pound pulk sled we don't even get to where we're hoping to get to just because conditions are so raw. End of the mm. day, wiped out, snow, wind come, temperatures dropping. But I get my shelter up and I get that four dot burning and it's just a, 
a special moment. So if you watch Minnesota down this week, you'll be able to chance, you'll have a chance to see one of the four dogs um, at work. Let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about the crafting of it. One of the shows we work on is called made for the outdoors, where we see how people's favorite outdoor gear gets made. And in doing that show for how many years we've been doing it now, I've learned that, I think the general public sees welding as sparks flying, joining two pieces of metal. But there is a real art, a real craft to welding. And I just imagine that when you put these stoves together, it's not like building a widget. It's deeper than that. It's more profound. Is is that too rich? Is that too thick to say? No, it's, you know, when I... When I started at Don's, when I, I bet when I came into his shop and he asked me to help him, I started out just welding. That's he had all the parts and all the pieces. And I was the guy that welded them together, you know, and that alone, there's a learning curve there. You know, these are, these are a product he'd made for many, many years. And there was a way to do it and a way to do it right. You know, I'm not going to lie. I struggled. Don has a very particular way of doing things and that's the way it's done. So I had to adjust a little bit, you know, but you know, over time, I wasn't just the welding guy anymore. Now I'm running the brake press. Now I'm running the shear. Now I'm doing a lot of deburring and grinding and cleanup and finish work and painting. And it got to the point where I was touching every single piece that went into that stove, every part. I cut this, the little latch for the door, I cut them off, I bend them and so on. And there, there, there's, there's 25, 30 different little components that go into the stoves. So when you're building it from start to finish, every single piece you touch, you assemble, you weld it, you grind it, deburr it, you know, and then paint it. And, you know, that was something that, Don instilled in me and we talk about a lot. I've been in the industry and worked in manufacturing my whole life. And it's always been building widgets. You know, you will go to work in a factory, you're making a part or several parts of components for other things. And that's true in manufacturing today for, I think, the majority of it. There are very few people that have a part or a product, unless it's a small artisan product like we're building where you're touching everything, every single piece that goes into that, you know, and, and there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of things to learn. Um, in my case, you know, we had, I worked in Don's shop with Don's equipment and his tooling and his welder and his machines. Then I went out and bought my own and started my own shop. Now I have to kind of relearn a lot of things or different tricks and different ways to do it with my machines, my brake press, my iron worker, my welder, my, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so luckily I'm in a position where I have enough experience under my belt. So that's, that's actually the fun part for me. <laughs> it doesn't stress mm-hmm. me out when I look at it and go, Oh, I used to do it like that. How do I do it now? I get excited about that. It's like, how can I do it now? How do I get to do that? How can I create what he created in with my stuff, my shop, my way, and still produce the same end product right we're not cheapening it up i'm not you know selling out i'm not doing anything like that 
Um, I know, I know Don and I had talked about that and he was worried that if he sold the business, somebody would offshore it and start importing and stuff. And he really, you're right. He was, he, he was really hoping to find somebody worthy. And I think he settled on me. <laughs> and I, yeah. I joke about that, you know, but again, I, I really, really worked hard and stepped up and wanted, I wanted, but I wanted him to understand and, and feel comfortable, uh, giving me the reins. I wanted to make sure he understood that my heart was in it. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do it the same way he did it. You know, him and his wife, Roxy ran and she worked in in, in that shop almost as much as, as he did, you know, early on from what I understand. And I'm lucky enough too, that, that my girlfriend, Maddie is also a welder. She went to school for welding. She has a huge passion for the outdoors um, we've done, we've done a lot of adventures together and, and she helps in the shop a lot. Um, she does the welding, she runs the brake press, she runs the shear, you know, whatever we need to do, we coordinate it and we make it happen. So, you know, we joke about that's a one man, you know, it's a one man shop, but it really isn't. It's the both of us, mm. you know, she's got my back, which is nice. That takes a little bit of pressure off me, especially since I know she can do what I do for the most part doesn't have the experience I have, but she's got the drive and the passion and, and the work ethic where it's like, Hey, let's get this done. You know? Yep. It's Friday night. It's nine o'clock. We got one more, we got to build, you know, type of a thing. And we just, we just got it out and get it done. But again, that's the passion that goes into it because I know when, when the word kind of got out that I was hoping to do this, there were a few people that said what you said and it was like this collective sigh of relief that oh good you know they're not going away someone's going to keep this going you know and in some ways that puts a lot of pressure on me i'm not gonna lie i'm like that's some big shoes to fill but i i like i said i knew what i got into and this is what i want to do you know i want to make sure we keep don's legacy going and keep don's legacy alive you know so all right all right Random turn here. Maddie, you might have undersold her welding. I've heard a rumor that she welds underwater. Um, Is that true? She did. She did, yes. Um, so I met, I, I knew Maddie, and we got together as a couple about six years ago-ish. And uh, she had gone to school. She went to Dunwoody for welding. And then she turned around after she graduated there and she moved out to Seattle and went to commercial diving school um, to be a diver and, and to do underwater welding. Although a commercial diver does a lot of things besides welding underwater. Um, one of the things, yes. I mean, every, I'm an underwater welder, but they do a lot of different stuff. So she has wore that hat. Yes. Um, she did, she, she did all her schooling. She did some underwater stuff. She does that as well as she's working, works in manufacturing in a lot of different shops, does a lot of different welding, um, wears a lot of hats, you know, and not to undersell her at all. Her outdoor skills are on par with anybody I know. Maddie and I have done trips to the Amazon jungle with, uh, Joe flowers at bushcraft global. I've done three trips where we went in and, and lived with the Matisse tribe for seven, eight, ten days. And I brought her with me twice 
And she outshined some of our guides and some of the things she did, which was of really course. fun. Um, very bushcrafty, incredibly knowledgeable. Uh, you know, if, if when we were at the, the winter camping symposium and, and I had the stoves all set up, you know, we were selling our stoves and then Maddie was over there crocheting and selling soap that she made and selling beard oil that she made and selling all these other products. So not only is she out in the shop with me welding, doing, you know, the most testosterone fueled type of work in an environment like that, she'll go in the house and she'll make beautiful smelling soaps and beard oils, you know, so it's, it's incredible. I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. I'm a lucky guy. You know, she can, she can wear a lot of hats and fit in a lot of places, you know, whether it's, it's with the guys or not, you know, in the bush, you know, winter camping. She actually put in a couple trips last year. I wasn't able to go on. She did a band of brothers trip with Mike Hedke and Ryan Fox and all those guys um, took our tent. And she was, she was out there at 38 below zero with those guys. That's colder than I've ever camped, you know? So she's got a couple feathers in her cap that are, uh, are pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive stuff. Well, that band of brothers trip, I think that actually happens next week. Another sidebar band of brothers. They take veterans winter camping to teach them a new skill and let them vent a little bit. So really, really kind of a neat, neat trip. All right. We need to pay a few bills, but when I want to, when we come back, I want to talk to you about some of your favorite winter trips. Can we do that? Sure. Sure. We can talk about that. That'd be great. Okay. Awesome. Um, Bill Shirk here. George Wells is my guest, and you are listening to the Minnesota Mount Podcast, the stories behind the stories. And we have so many great sponsors who help us uh, reach out to you each week. You know, up first, I want to thank the Minnesota Historical Society. Right now, the History Forum is back at the Minnesota History Center. Since 2004, the History Forum has explored American history with some of the nation's very best scholars. That tradition continues in 2023 with five events highlighting the diversity and excellence of today's historical scholarship. In-person and virtual tickets are available at mnhs.org slash history forum. We'd also like to thank our good friends at the Minnesota Propane Association. Most people agree that we need to lower our carbon footprint while providing reliable and affordable energy. A diverse energy mix will provide reliability and affordability, which is extremely important during Minnesota's four distinct seasons. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today. That's ready to work alongside with other energy sources, and it's propane. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Propane is energy stored on site and independent from the vulnerabilities of the grid. And propane's benefits don't end there. Major advances are being made today for renewable propane that is compatible with the traditional propane and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Minnesota needs to use all our low-carbon alternatives, including propane, to safely provide energy, reliability, resiliency, and affordability. Propane, the right energy right now. To find out more about what propane can do for you, visit propane.com. So long ago, I was sitting at my desk, and in the television business, after we shoot an outdoor story, I go back to the office, and I sit 
and I watch every second of the video we capture and take notes and kind of cut that down to make our television stories. And we were doing a story on a winter camping class. And I thought it was pretty funny. Scott Oath, who is one of uh, the best bushcrafters around this neck of the woods, is teaching the class. And they start talking shelters outdoors. And Scott's setting up different tents and showing the shelters, talking about the pros and cons. And all of a sudden, there's a hammock hanging between two trees. And the crowd just sort of migrates as Scott's talking over to this hammock. And there's this guy talking about the hammock. And pretty soon, everyone's talking to the hammock guy and asking questions. He's showing the tricks. And I just chuckled a little bit because, George, that was you. You kind of stole the show a little bit. Everyone wanted to know who in the world goes out at 20 below zero and crawls in a hammock. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a really, really good time. And it's kind of funny since you, you, you told me that story the other day and, and you know, when we were talking at the symposium and I kind of laughed because I didn't realize that's kind of what happened. I just thought I was playing my role and I was going to talk about hammock camping. Um, I got into but that's I, how intriguing that stuff is, right? People are right? so curious. I I got into that about 10 years ago because I I had never done a lot of really cold weather camping. I go a deer camp and things like that. And we had a wood stove and a tent. Um, but I hadn't done any deep cold. And I wanted to. I was tired of my camping season ending after deer hunting and not starting up again until, you know, May opening fishing. And I started poking around online and YouTube, like a lot of people do. And lo and behold, who do I find? But Suge, um, Sean Emery. And I started learning. I'm like, wow, people go out with hammocks, but they're going out. The, the, what intrigued me was these people were going out by themselves. Right. And I'm like, well, I don't have anybody in my circle at that time that I knew that went winter camping or that would even want to, you know, you hear the term you're crazy a lot <laughs> when you're a winter <laughs> camper, but that's how I got, I got introduced to it just by a little research and stuff. And I went, wow, that's something I want to do, you know? And lo and behold, who do I know that does winter camping and Don Cavellis, there he is. And I had mentioned to him, rant, you know, actually I was, I think I was on his website and he used to sell hammocks, you know, wholesale stuff. And, uh, I swung by his shop and I said, Hey, I, you know, I, I want to do this. And Don was forthcoming, of course, with all the information and overload and all that. And after my first, you know, my first winter was full of, full of failure. I'll be honest. You know, I'd set my hammock up in the backyard, get excited because it was eight degrees outside and let's see if we can stay warm. And nope, didn't have enough under quilt, didn't have enough top quilt, didn't have this, didn't have that. But I plucked away at it and, and figured out what worked for me. And, uh, that first winter. And I remember the second winter I, I started to really get into it. And I finally had a, a, a stretch of weather where it was going to be 20 below zero. And I was just giddy and people again, think you're crazy, but I went out in my hammock, you know, on, with, with Don's, guidance and advice and i set up my system that i had with an underquilt and a peapod system and all this stuff and i crawled in there at eight o'clock at night and i slept until six o'clock the next morning 10 hours at 20 below zero 
warm, comfy, no issues. And I was, the light bulb came on and I was just proud as a peacock. And I'm like, this is the way to do it. This is awesome. So I started going out doing solo trips, you know, weekends, maybe one night or two nights, you know, I don't no long expeditions. I work for a living, so I don't have a lot of vacation time and all that. So my trips were never very long, but I started to figure it out. Well, then I, then I started hitting the winter camping symposium and finding out there's a lot of people that do this kind of stuff. I just wasn't in, I was in the wrong circle. Um, I began at that time, like I said, about 10 years ago, that's when my introduction to the hammock stuff. And then I also got into survival schools. Um, I got to go down to Ohio to Dave Canterbury's Pathfinder school and take some of his courses and classes. And I hammocked there, you know, which back then nobody, you know, outside of some crazy hardcore people did it. Um, so I've been doing that a long time too. I really enjoy doing the hammock thing, which is ironic because I do make hot, you know, wood, wood stoves for hot tents. And it is a completely different world when you're cold camping in a hammock, as opposed to having a, a nice warm tent to dry things out and, and stuff. There's a different, it's a different experience and it's a different experience level. Um, your moisture management and all that stuff without getting too geeky and technical and stuff, but yeah, the hammocks were cool. And again, you know, and it's funny how Don was really instrumental for me to get into that part of my outdoor career as well you know so i think that's kind of cool and i don't even know if he knows that or not yeah i don't feel remember but but that was that was a big deal to me too so but the hammocks they're uh you know i've 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 done it in the winter like i said 20 28 below is now my new low low record of spending time in in, in the hammock um but i've hung my hammock from the the jungles of of Brazil and Colombia, all the way up into Canada, out west, you know, and try and get out everywhere. It's such a versatile way to to sleep, and it's so comfortable, so comfortable. It seems odd the guy who makes wood stoves for tents to stay warm as a living hammock camps, right? I don't know. <laughs> it, it is it is kind of funny. It's it's like well. Sure, I make this product, but I'm going to leave it at home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So, so going back to the stoves, if people want to see um, what you're building, what's the easiest way for them to check them out? Currently, um, we are still using fordog.com. Um, Don is still advertising the stoves. They're still available for purchase on his website, just like they always were. Right now, the only difference is, is I'm manufacturing them and shipping them. Um, going forward, that is not going to be the way we're going to do it. I will be getting a website set up. Um, we'll probably link it from 4Dog. So if someone's looking for a 4Dog, they can go to his website still. And then there will be a link to my site for purchase. Mm. Um, my company is called A Metalworks. Um, and, and that goes back... 20 years when I started my very first little home shop, I, I, that shop started out by being just a little job shop. But I, at the time I was, uh, I was involved in the, in the, the, the heavy metal music scene in Minneapolis. I played guitar and I did all that kind of stuff, but I knew a lot of bands and I knew a lot of local musicians and things, and they wanted stage props and things made. So 
I started welding mic stands together and vanity boxes, as they call them, big square boxes lead singers could stand on and look, you know, macho. But Hmm. so that that's where the name came from, because we started out the business. It was called Apocalyptic Metalworks. Oh, wow. When you get into it for a while and I started, I branched out and I actually became, you know, manufacturing things. Nobody could spell or, or say apocalyptic. <laughs> so we just went a metalworks just cause. So when I restarted business here a few years ago, when I, when I reincorporated it all, I just stuck with the a metalworks again, just cause it was familiar. And I didn't know at that time when I, when I set all this up, if I was going to even be building four dogs. You know, I, I wasn't, I can't take four dogs name, right. That's all Don stuff. So I needed a business name and a metal works is just what I've always been. And I joke too, when people ask me what the a stands for, I just say anything because it works, <laughs> but well, there you go. Now, now people know the story behind the story, right? <laughs> I absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there's it. a story well, behind the story that's behind the story. <laughs> always. Well, congratulations. Um, you're carrying on a legacy here. Um, something as simple as a wood stove. So profound, right? So, and there was one other question I wanted to ask you before I leave you. When you ship, where are the stoves going? Oh, that's actually, that's something really cool too. I, I That always puts a smile on my face because I get excited about that. Um, and they, they go everywhere. I mean, I've the the stoves I've shipped. I just shipped probably half a dozen in the last couple of weeks, and they went up to Canada. Um, they went as far west as Washington State. Uh, had when I believe went oh, it was south. Did it go all the way to Texas? I think it went all the way to Texas, Colorado, Pennsylvania. I mean, all you name it, all over all over the country. I kind of chuckled at some of them because I don't associate some of those states and areas with winter <laughs> or winter camping. Mm-hmm. And I, I joked about that to Don and Don's like, Oh, you got to remember a lot of these guys do, they go hunting out West. He goes, a lot of the guys that buy these stoves, he goes, they only use them once a year, twice a year. And they go to elk camp. I'm like, Oh, that's a good point. You know, not just, just cause you live in Texas doesn't mean you need a wood stove, you know, but, but they go all over the place. I, I, I know, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it always surprises me how far and wide the four dog name is known. You know, that's, that's very humbling too. It's, it's pretty neat. Um, I'm, I'm always looking forward. I always got to look at the, at the address or the state or wherever it's going when we're shipping stuff. And I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. So, you know, I, I, I should put up a, I, I just think it's brainstorming. I should put a map up on the, on the wall of the shop and start putting stick pins so I can see where they're all going until I hit all 50 states and they'll have to have a celebration or a milestone or something. Now, <laughs> that would be really cool. Really cool. That, that would be fun. Well, well, George, thanks again. And uh, hopefully uh, you and I get a chance to share the woods at some point. That would be excellent. That would be excellent. I really appreciate it, Bill. Thanks for your time too. Keep up the good work, and uh, every time that stove is fired, I'll be uh, thinking of you and Don. So there you go. Perfect. Perfect. Well, that about does it for the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. Now, we have so many great 
partners who help uh, make the podcast happen each week. I want to thank a few of them right now. First off, Connecticut, the Minnesota Propane Association, our good friends at Star Bank, and the Minnesota Historical Society. I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Until next week, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. (music) 